Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Brendan Kamarasamy. Brendan is a public speaking coach, communication expert, and founder of Master Talk. He teaches and coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become the top 1% communicators in their industry. He also has a popular YouTube channel called Master Talk with the goal of providing free access to communication tools for everyone in the world. So today we get into everything to do with public speaking, which is one of the biggest fears, right, that a lot of us have. So I asked him, how did he become an expert public speaker? What is the biggest challenge with public speaking? Why do we struggle with it so much and a lot more? So let's get right into it. Okay, Brendan, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. It is exciting to get someone with your background on here because... Public speaking is one of those things everyone wants to know more about, right? Right. Linda, the pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Yeah. So let's just get right into it. One of the things public speaking, everyone says it, like one of the biggest fears. And how did you become an expert public speaker? For sure. And it was an accident. When I went to business school, I studied the opposite of what you'd expect somebody in communications to study, Linda, which was accounting. So that was my dream. Right. Being accountant, that was my focus. Yeah. And then when I got to school, I started doing these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, Linda, but for nerds. <laughs> right. That's that's the way I explain it. So while other guys my age were playing rugby or basketball or hockey or something else that was too dangerous for me to play, I did presentations competitively. And that's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started coaching all of the students to win those competitions. And that accidentally made me really good at coaching other people on how to speak. And that's what prompted the master talk in the YouTube channel. Wow. So was it like a debate club sort of thing, like when you first got into it? Yeah. Think of it like debate, but for business school. So let's say in debate, there's like two topics that you speak about. Are you for or against abortion? Are you for or against climate change? Something like that. But in case competition, it was a more business focus. So let's say executives like at Amazon would like sponsor the competition, give us Amazon specific problem like, hey, where should we open the next uh, ghost store or something? And then a bunch of these students would pitch solutions and they give the best students job offers to work at their companies. So it's how these things work. Interesting. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Were you nervous at first? Like, was it something that you had to kind of get into or are you kind of a natural? Definitely, mostly I, I had to work at it. The reason, Linda, is because a couple of reasons. The first one is I grew up in Montreal in Canada, which I'm still based. And Montreal is a city where you need to know how to speak French, which is a language I didn't know. So my whole life, right, I was presenting in a language I didn't know, which is really challenging. So that's one. The second piece is I have a physical disability. My left arm is crooked. So whenever I present, I still have a little bit of that today, but not as much as I used to. But when I'm standing or I'm giving a presentation, people always look at my arm. So it always gives me anxiety. That's the second piece. And then the third piece, I literally study the opposite of what you'd think okay. like a communication person would do. 
so yeah, I didn't expect to be doing what I'm doing today, but here we are. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So when it comes to public speaking, I mean, what are, what's the biggest challenge? Is it fear? A lot of people think it's fear, Linda. I think it's motivation. And the reason I think it's motivation or consistency is because there's so many things in our life that we've done that are scary. Getting our first job, going on the first date, getting married, having kids, going to college, doesn't matter what the, the hard thing is. But why do we do it anyways? We do it because the opportunity, our reason for doing it outweighs the fear that it comes with. But the challenge is in speaking, nobody gives themselves that reason to say, why is this important to me? They just focus on the fear and don't do it. So the question that I always challenge people to reflect on, Linda, is how would your life change? if you were an exceptional communicator. That's interesting. Years ago, I worked, I knew someone who did, do you ever hear this tapping routine? It's like a, it works on, like it, it's a way to soothe yourself and you tap the different meridians, kind of related to acupuncture sort of thing. Mm. I was working with someone who taught that and it was to, for me at the time was to get me over the fear of flying, which did eventually work, but it wasn't that easy and it wasn't that quick. But she also would help a lot of people with public speaking. And what's interesting about this tactic is that you don't realize the fear is gone. You just get up and you start talking because there's a woman who thought it didn't work. And she goes, this isn't working for me, but I have to give this talk. I'm just going to do it. And she didn't talk. And afterwards, she's like, she didn't realize that the fear was gone until she finished it. And so did you ever hear of something like that, like different ways to kind of <laughs> I always learn something from from my, the host, so that's the one lesson I learned. I should just I, tap tap the pieces. Yeah, off. it's a tapping. Where I, there's um, different. They call if you look up on even like YouTube, you look up tapping for anxiety. You'll find all different routines, and it's helped me a lot with different things. And so that's something that would public speaking. I'm wondering. I just wondered if that was something I ever heard. Um, and so why is it that we struggle so much? So you said it was. It's not so much the fear. So what is it that we struggle? So I would say we, so we definitely struggle with the fear. It's definitely a piece. I think the number of reasons we don't practice those because of the motivation. But let's go back to that struggle. Where does that fear come from? Where does that scare, like that fear of communication start? And I've always believed, Linda, that it starts in the education system because that's where we give presentations. That's where we learn how to speak in a formal way for the first time. But all of those presentations, Linda, have three main problems. The first one is they're all mandatory. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, Linda, you want to get breakfast and then present all day? Nobody says that. So that's challenge number one. Challenge number two is you never get to present something you really love. So when we go to the education system, it's not, Linda, what are you passionate about? Podcasting, media, paintings, glasses, right? It doesn't matter. But no, that's not how it works. You got to talk about the Renaissance. And then after that, you got to talk about Shakespearean poetry. So it's not super fun. And then the third problem, which I would argue is the biggest one, is every presentation is tied to a punishment. So if you don't do a great job, you get punished for it. So we grow up believing that communication is a chore and nobody wants to get better at doing the dishes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. So it's interesting when you say that because when I was growing up and I was, I mean, I remember this from, I think it was literally like grade school. We had to give a book report. And I've always had this fascination with like ghosts and paranormal and stuff. And I got up and did a talk 
And I'm an introvert. I don't like crowds, but one-on-one, for some reason, and I'll have to ask you about this in a little bit, getting up in front of a group is not something I'm afraid of. I don't like being in the crowd itself, but I can stand up there and do it. And I remember getting such a good response. It's a bunch of kids. They wanted to hear about ghosts, you know? And that was my first thing I recall about public speaking. And it was a positive experience so that it ended up being something I, I pursued for a little while, like later in life didn't really get you know down i didn't go down that road career-wise but I, I did try it and i never had that fear that a lot of people talk about so do you think it's because of that first experience i personally think it is because when the reason i'm so confident in that is because as kids nobody ever fears communication like when you're four years old you're five years old there's some introverted kids for sure especially those on the spectrum, those who have autism as an example. That's the vast majority. I'll give you a quick test on this. It's called the random word exercise. You pick a word like light bulb or ceiling or home, and you just give a presentation out of thin air. You give that to an adult, and they will be really scared. Oh my God, Like, what am I going to say? What word am I going to use? You give bacon to a five-year-old kid, she's going to say, ah, bacon is like what I had for breakfast, and it's so good. Like They don't really like, they don't understand what the fear of judgment and rejection is. Yeah. It's something that we learn later in life, unfortunately. So yeah, I, I definitely feel it's the education system. Like I'll give you another one that I think simplifies this a little bit more. Let's say we take young boys. Why do they love sports so much as adults? Because the memories they have of sports is really positive. They're playing football with their father. They're playing basketball with the hoops with their friends. But imagine if the childhood was instead, if you miss a basket in the basketball, Tim, I'm going to throw a basketball in your face every time that happens. I probably <laughs> would like basketball too much. <laughs> right. Exactly. You get punished every time you do it. Yeah. I used to be in the fitness world for a long time as a personal trainer. And one of the things I would tell people is don't use exercise as a punishment. Because it's the same thing. Everyone's doing this now for New Year's Eve. You know, all the gyms are busy and, and I know people are on diet. It's always, you know, the talk is always about how much they're depriving themselves and how, and all I can think about, because I, I work with people for 20 years in this business, it's a, if you associate it with that, that exercise is a punishment, oh, I ate that burger, so now I'm going to go run for a half hour and you hate running, that's not the association that's going to keep you motivated to keep going, right? So yeah, 100%. total sense. So online. When it comes to like giving presentation, is there a big difference between presenting, I would imagine there is, you know, one-on-one or online, like even like what we're doing. I mean, you don't have, the, you know, the opportunity to see the whole person. So how can we do a better job of that? For sure, Linda. Great question. And I love the story that you gave with fitness. I could really see that, that, that you are, you are a personal trainer. So the, the piece is there's three main differences. The first difference is eye contact. So let's say I'm in person and I'm giving a workshop. We're moving our body around, our eyes around to look at the different people in the audience. Whereas when you're online, whether you're speaking to one or 10,000 people, you only have to look in one direction, which is the, the, the lens of your camera. So that's really the key. And it gives the illusion that you're looking at everyone directly in the eyes. Mm -hmm. So that's the first piece. The second difference is energy. Let's face it, it's a lot easier to show up with energy when you're in person versus online. And the reason is for one word, accountability. At the end of the day, even if I we're well-practiced and we're rehearsed, I'm still wearing sweatpants for this interview, right? It's like, there's, it's just, there's things that we can't change. 
Whereas when we're in person, you got to take a shower, you got to wake up in the morning, you got to get everything right and, and give the speech because you're giving people high fives, you're hugging people, you're meeting people. So the key is get better in person and bring more of that energy back in the online room. And then finally, number three is accessibility. Let's say I was giving a workshop in front of you and I said, hey, could you give me feedback? You're going to say, yeah, sure, let's get lunch because you're right there. You're right in front of me. There's no friction. But in the online world, I have to get on calls with people to get feedback. So there's a lot more friction. So you need to push those conversations and be more proactive to get the feedback you need. When you have like a meeting, and this is a little bit off topic, but there's a lot of times where the other person doesn't want, not a lot of times, but it's happened a few times, where people that don't want to be on camera. And that takes away all those cues as to how they're responding to what you're saying. Do you have any tips or do you do anything when you have a meeting with someone? Like, what do you say to somebody? Like that? For sure. And, and you could totally ask me off topic things, Lynn. I'm pretty easy going. So the, the, the piece is, for me, a communication is always contextual, right? So for example, if I'm giving a webinar to 100 people, I'm not expecting all 100 to turn on their cameras. Maybe 20% of them will. And then I'll use strategies like celebrating people or turning on their cameras. So instead of punishing people, going back to what we were saying earlier, I'll say something like this. Linda, I'm so glad that you turned on your camera for, for today's presentation. So great to see your face. And I hope everyone else on this call plays as full out as she is. So what I'm doing is I'm validating you, but I'm also positioning you as a person of authority in that room. So everyone starts to, for lack of a better word, they start to get jealous of you. They go like, oh my God, well, I want to I want to be praised like Linda too. And then they start turning. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the strategy. But then there's other scenarios where you just can't get out of it. Like you kind of have to deal with it, like a work setting. So in that situation, you, you just have to bring more energy and just go, yeah, everyone loves me. Everyone is watching my presentation. You got to figure it out. <laughs> what, what's your take on like Toastmasters? Because I took that like years ago. You know, I didn't have an actual fear. And for me, I, I did it for like a year. Just my take on it, and I want to hear your opinion too, is that I liked it because it helped me eliminate the arms and ahs because somebody's there was literally counting every time he used to fill a word. And not only does it freak you out, standpoint of being self-conscious, but you become very aware of it. And so now it's, I will just not say anything if I feel like I'm going to be one of those words. So the, that what I thought was good, but the downside was I found that the, the talks were very tanned. Like we had a certain criteria we had to follow and you worked your way through these workbooks. And then they had, they had these big events, where they'd have contests and they'd have Toastmasters, you know, get up. And I just thought they they were not conversational. They were very canned. Are you familiar with Toastmasters? And, and what, what's your take on Absolutely, Linda. So to, to your point, I'm a big fan of Toastmasters in the sense that I feel it's a very inexpensive way to get accountability for speaking. It's like 200 bucks a year or something. So that's why I like it because there's chapters around the world and people can just join and let's say bring my advanced tips from either this episode or the YouTube challenges, use them in the club. But there's different levels of accountability for different levels of dreams. So that's the key. So if you're getting started, you're a student, you're getting started in your corporate life, I think Toastmasters is great because it's cheap and it gets the job done. But to your point, now the nuanced conversation becomes, well, Brenda, I want to be a professional speaker. Oh, Brenda, I want to be a high-level executive. Brenda, I have big dreams. I'm going to keep leveling up. Those, I want to be an entrepreneur. Those types of people or a coach 
I think it makes a lot more sense to hire a communication coach like me because for one word, speed, you get results a lot faster. So the same results, let's say that you get in a year in a Toastmasters, because let's say there's a two-hour meeting, but you're only presenting for five of those minutes in that meeting, you're going to expedite those results a lot faster with somebody who's holding your hand and going, let's let's just get you the results specifically, and all my attention is on you. That's all. But it's a different price point as well. So you have to kind of figure out what works for you. Yeah. I found it was the camaraderie is good because a lot of people were nervous about speaking and there's a lot of encouragement and, hey, you can do this. And, hey, that was great. And I, I found that really helpful. You know, it was a good experience overall for me. I mean, I definitely from it. But what about, what are, where did the idea for the master talk come from, actually? For sure. So it really started in college, right? You know, when I was doing those case competitions, those nerd-like competitions, what happened was I just took it upon myself to start coaching other people because we didn't have a coach. And I wasn't one, by the way. I was just good at speaking. I was winning these competitions. So I said, I might as well know something about this. So I just made a lot of mistakes. I, I still hadn't joined even a Toastmasters group. So I was super naive. I was just helping them out. And I think that's why I, I developed a lot of unique ideas in communication and public speaking because of that naivete. So I just tell people I made mistakes, but I was really focused on getting people results. So where the idea sparked was when I was in my last semester of university, Linda. I had my job secured. I was going to be just fine at IBM. I wasn't looking to be a business owner. But somebody said, one of the people I'd coached, they asked me a question. And the question was, how did you learn how to speak? And I just went, huh. I don't really know how I learned how to speak because I didn't do Toastmasters. I didn't really hire, I didn't have any money. My parents were factory workers. So I said, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I just learned. And then he said, do you watch YouTube videos? And I was like, why would I do that? And that's when I started watching the videos and I realized there was a lot of gaps in those videos. So I just started making my own. Oh, interesting. If you were to give some tips, like there's kind of two parts in this question. The first is if someone wanted to break into speaking, because the thing is, as a copywriter and an entrepreneur, first as a copywriter, I'm a bit introverted. I'm not shy, but I am introverted. So it's hard for me to just initiate that thing. Like if you want to break into public speaking, what tips would you have for someone who doesn't have any experience? Right. So there's two parts to that, Linda, right? The first part is how do we get started? And the other part is how do we go pro, which I think are very different things. So how do we get started, which is everyone can do this, even if you don't want to be the next Tony Robbins, you don't want to be on a stage. I think communication is important for all of us because it improves the quality of our life. It's the way that we talk to our families. It's the way that we raise our children. It's the way that we make new friends. It's every moment of our life. So if we just get better at speaking, like with boundaries, instead of saying, I need more alone time, you go like, what does that mean? Like, does that mean you want to be stuck in a cave for a week? Does it mean you want to read a book an hour a day? So just notice how in that way, it helps so much. So for me, it's about saying, let's focus on these three exercises and then let's jump into the pro piece, which I call my easy threes. Communication, Linda, is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. One of those balls is not saying ums and ahs, to your point. Another one is facial expressions, eye contact, storytelling, body language. And it can get real overwhelming real fast. So for me, the question has always been, what are the three easiest balls to juggle? Because if we juggle those three, we'll build the momentum. And my three are the random word exercise, the question drill, and video messages. Let's do a minute on each. 
random word exercises just you pick a word like light bulb, ceiling, wife, trophy, uh, doorknob, it doesn't matter. And you create random presentations out of thin air. And you do this because it helps you deal with uncertainty. You can do this with family, people around you. The second tip is the question drill, which is you make a list of a question every single day that somebody's going to ask you in your life and you find an answer to it. So let's say this podcast, I've done the question drill a thousand times. So to your point, there's not really a question that scares me unless somebody asks me what my favorite fruit is, then I'll go away. <laughs> but, right. So that's exercise two. Okay. And then exercise three, send video messages to people you love. Just pick somebody you love. It could be a 10-year-old niece. It could be an uncle. It could be a family friend. Just send them a 20-second note wishing them Happy New Year and saying, hey, I really appreciate having you in my life. Those are my easy things. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot now about video messaging through LinkedIn. And there's someone that I follow who actually has a little course that I, I took. And I did, as with so many of these things, I, I initially out of the gate did like seven of them, sent them out. They were like worn leads and I sent videos. And then, of course, I talked myself out of it thinking, no one's going to watch these. You know, so it's that whole negative thing. So, so that brings me to the introversion part. So how do you, as an introvert, get better? Are there any particular things specifically for introverts that are helpful? So I would say that the biggest piece is realizing that introverts are actually better than extroverts in many areas of communication that they just aren't aware of. These are the main three things. So the tip is basically triple down on your strengths. Number one is listening. Introverts like yourself make great podcast hosts because they're a lot better at listening. I, on the other hand, terrible host, much better guest because I want to talk. That's why I'm a guest. Right, so I'm so bad at, at listening. Well, I mean, I'm better these days, but back in the day, I was horrible. But the reason why introverts are such great listeners, Linda, is because they spend more time listening and less time talking, just in general in their social life. So they'll adapt the message a lot faster. They'll ask more thoughtful questions. That's number one. Number two is the pause. Pausing is the most important tool in communication because it helps with so many things. It emphasizes your message, helps you remove ums and ahs, right? Filler words that you are talking about earlier. And extroverts suck at pausing. <laughs> and the reason is because when we're ever at a party, at an event, and there's no conversation, I immediately want to fill it up. Hey, what's your favorite color, Linda? What happened last Thursday? Whereas an introvert lives in silence. They're really good at it. So whenever they pause in a presentation, it's not really awkward. They, they, it gets learned really quickly. And then the final key strength is accessibility. Let's say we compare Gary Vaynerchuk with Brene Brown. So for those who don't know, Gary V is the CEO of VaynerMedia, massive personal brand. And if you look him up for five seconds, you find out really quickly that you either really love the guy or <laughs> you really hate the guy. So I'm in the camp of I really love the guy. He's a big hero of mine. Right? And I have a lot of respect for his work. But he's an extroverted speaker, so he's very polarizing. Yeah. So half of the crowd is like, I hate this guy's guts. Why is he swearing all the time? And the other person goes, wow, I just love this guy. He's my hero. But then you got Brene Brown. There is nobody in human history, Linda, who has uttered the following sentence. I hate Brene Brown. Because if you say that, the FBI, the SWAT team, the CIA is going to come to your house, take your children, and kidnap everybody. So that's the key. When you're an introverted speaker... You're just more accessible to people. That's why nobody really hates Brene Brown. And of course, I love her, but that's the point. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I'm actually listening to one of her audiobooks. 
I forget the name of it, but I had I'd heard of her so much and I didn't I never actually read one of her books or heard her. And so and, and the thing about Gary Vee is funny because I started out really just disliking the guy. And I think it was because I was working with some business coaches that really put him down. That is it always all about the hustle. I mean, you know, you can't you know work until your face falls off and, and they would make fun of And but he is the thing that that endeared him to me is that I saw videos of him where he was very, he was really a caring person. Like he, he can be loud and he can be sort of obnoxious, but underneath it all, he's a good person. And that's what, that's what I thought. Like there was a video of him. Somebody had, he was at some event and some, one of the attendees fell asleep on a bench, like in the, in the lobby or something. And there was a crowd that gathered around Gary because he walked in and the guy yeah. was sleeping. Did you see this one? Yeah. That was at his conference fee, friends. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, the guy freaked out. It was really funny. Just the hair was just standing there, and, but it was just a really nice exchange. So, what about presenting in group presentations? Like, say a small group, because that's what most business people are going to be doing. Maybe up to thirty people. Anything particular for a group like that? For sure, Linda. So, what I would share is puzzle. So, puzzle is just when we go back to us as kids, we used to play jigsaw puzzles right we take a bunch of puzzles like thousand pieces some of us still use it still do it. 500 pieces thousand pieces put it all together so the question is whenever we work on a jigsaw puzzle which pieces do we start with first and the answer is yes go ahead go ahead you know it and the edges why is that because <laughs> they're easy to find i love it so absolutely i completely agree linda right you're, you're clearly a puzzle expert which i love so you're right <laughs> Corners, because they're easier to find. That's what most people answer, which is the correct answer. And then they work their way into the middle. So why do I bring this up? I bring this up because in communication, unfortunately, we do the opposite. So we shove a bunch of content in our presentations. Shove, 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 shove. We get to the presentation, and then it sounds something like this. And then we get to the last slide, and it's just like, yeah, so thanks. <laughs> So it's garbage, for lack of a better word. So how do we fix this? Practice your presentations for your groups like a jigsaw puzzle. Start with the edges first. Just do the introduction 20, 25 times. So in, it sounds like a lot, but your intro is like two minutes. So it'll take you like 45 minutes to do that. Same thing with the close. What's a great movie with the terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. So then practice the ending and then tackle the middle. If you do it in that order, it's going to be a lot more easier for you to prepare for your next group press. It's so interesting you say that because I was just reading, or it was actually on a podcast where they, it was about decision-making psychology sort of thing and how when people decide to buy a product and they're reading something, they'll remember the first thing and the last thing. So if you're presenting, like the, the podcast was about Steve Jobs, how he knew this, like at the end of his presentation, he always did something called, he would say, oh, and one more thing. And he would end on like some feature of whatever the new product was that he had not mentioned for the whole event. So people remembered like, like with the iMac, it was like, and it comes in colors and the audience went, woo, you know? And so it was like ending on that note. He, you know, the, the podcast host was saying how this is why he did that and whether he did it on purpose, you know, I'm sure he did. Love him or he was a genius though. Yeah, he was. <laughs> but this has been so much fun. Well, what about where can people find you and find out more about your your company and what you do? Absolutely, Linda. It's such a pleasure to be on as well. Thanks for having me. 
So two ways to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk in one word. You'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to speak and communicate ideas. And the second way to keep in touch is to attend one of our live communication trainings over Zoom. It's a free Zoom call I do so people can see my tips live on a Zoom. So if you want to jump on that and it's completely free, go to rockstarcommunicator.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Brendan. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Likewise, Linda. Thanks for having me. That wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it as fun to listen to as it was for me to record. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. And for additional info, visit my website at thecopyworks.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.